Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 8, issue 360, The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. You can play along with our upcoming shows. Podcasts ahead include Dark Souls 3, Wolfenstein 2, a late result there, uh, The New Colossus, This War of Mine, for some laughs, then Pilot Wings, to cleanse the palate, and after that we continue our Final Fantasy series with number 9. Canerince.com is the place to find the full schedule, our forum and links to everything else we do. It's not just a podcast, it's a whole hive of activity and content. You can even get the show a week earlier than non-subscribers by supporting us for just one US dollar a month. Around about 77p or 0.89 of a euro gets you every Canerince podcast a week earlier and often extended. Patreon.com slash Canerince. We're very grateful for your support. You can just uh, chuck a coin our way via PayPal electronically. There's a link on the homepage. But more importantly than that, even don't forget to listen, tune in, subscribe, review and rate our other podcasts. We have Sound of Play on Wednesdays, which is our video games music podcast. We have Playwright on Thursdays, where Ryan and Ryan come up with all new ways to play based on video game pitches. And on Fridays, Chris O'Regan talks to the developers of the games that we play in the Sausage Factory. As I say, do subscribe to each of those and review and rate them wherever you get your podcast from. It's really helpful. And we also like it if you follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the usual places. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 360 are James Carter. Hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Mikhail Croder. Sa, sa. That's good. Uh, 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 I'm trying to think who it is, though, but it sounded perfect. <laughs> It's uh, it's Beetle. Ah, oh, right. Beetle, Beetle. Yeah. Good. Welcome <laughs> back, Beetle. He looks just like Beetle uh, from the Wind Waker times. The, the genetic apple has not fallen too far from the tree, even if we are millennia in the future from... Actually, no. I'm con- Well, we'll talk timeline momentarily. Uh, mm. So Nintendo made this game, in case you don't know. Uh, Eiji Onima, the former director, is now the producer. And Hidemaru Fujibayashi, who we know from our previous Zelda podcasts was originally a Capcom employee, uh, made a couple of f- relatively obscure PS1 and Saturn games before heading to Magical Tetris Challenge on the N64, then was uh, handed the directorship of Oracle, I should say, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages, before moving on to Four Swords and the Minish Cap, also with Capcom, and then coming over wholesale to Nintendo's Zelda production facilities with the Phantom Hourglass and then Skyward Sword, and now Breath of the Wild. Uh, this was originally planned to be released in 2015, but was postponed to 2016 to include additional gameplay ideas. But the game was then postponed again and was eventually released after six years of development. And of course, it was also postponed to come out in tandem with the new Nintendo console, which has gone on to do rather better than the previous one. So the game was obviously going to be a Wii U game and then became a dual platform game in exactly the same way as Twilight Princess did, only with some different changes this time and it was released worldwide on both formats March 3rd 2017 just over two years ago 
The reviews, as I'm sure everyone will remember, were broadly stellar, with the game now currently the fifth best reviewed game of all time on the average rankings system at Game Rankings. 97 plus percent from 63 reviews. It's below four other Nintendo games because everyone's got a massive Nintendo bias, right? Am I right? Yes, I'm right. Conspiracy. Uh, user reviews, Nintendo Life, 9.7 out of 10. Obviously, that's Nintendo centric, but similar scores on Moby Games and IMDb, 4.6 out of 5 and 9.4 out of 10. So the majority of people do love this game, but we are aware and you will hear from people who do not. Uh, accolades and awards, particularly at the end of 2017, new, too numerous to list. Uh, just piles and piles and pots and pots of uh, tributes and trinkets and the game sold 11 point let's gonna let's say it's higher than this now i don't know exactly if this includes all the latest digital figures but let's say it's about 12 million on the switch as of last december it's probably even higher now in fact uh plus one at least last night we'll get onto that uh and it sold one and a half million on the wii u which given the state of that machine at that time is probably no mean feat uh, I also count for one of those. Uh, speaking of the, the format divide, Sean S. Thomas from the forum says, I played this on Wii U and I feel torn about whether or not that was the right call. The proliferation of small enemy camps and abundance of shrines seemed designed for short bursts of play on Switch in your downtime as opposed to a long playthrough on your sofa. Equally, the Sheikah Slate device you use throughout the game is obviously the gamepad, and early E3 previews showed Aonima using it to navigate the inventory and map. Seeing that blank screen do nothing throughout the entire final game and knowing of the potential it had was one telltale sign of the game's cross-platform transition and left me with a slight twinge of what might have been. As somebody who played it on the Wii U myself, I agree. The Sheikah Slate stuff, I completely understand why they didn't persist with it when it was going to become a, a single screen device game as well, because it would have meant far too much individual reworking um, and to maintain all that stuff for a version that was only going to sell a tenth of the copies would have been mm. folly. But having said that, it is kind of galling to see the Sheikah Slate in the game and you can just see that it's the yeah. gamepad. And and um, if there's one criticism I have with the game is it's definitely its interface and its uh, its menus, and yeah. I think it definitely could have benefited uh, from uh, from some gamepad uh, use there as well. Jordania uh, from the forum says the big thing about this game is it amazed me that I was able to play it on a portable device. I spent countless hours that went by quickly playing this in the car during long trips or even on breaks at work. To this day, I think it's amazing that a game of this size fits on a little screen that I can take anywhere I go. So our histories with the game. James, let's start with you. This was a no-brainer day one purchase with a Switch for me. Uh, everything I'd seen about it, everything I'd seen about the Switch just had me interested. And so, uh, yeah, picked this up straight away and had the happy or unhappy situation of being off work uh, sick at the time yeah. um, for the sort of three weeks a week before and three weeks after this uh, this game came out uh, and spent pretty much that entire three weeks playing this. I put 115 hours in over three weeks, which, yes, that is as many hours as my full-time job. Um, so, so, yeah, I basically exchanged one for the other uh, whilst I was at home, sofa and bed kind of uh, bound. So, yeah. Josh, did you day one switch or what? I can't quite recall. Um, I, I yeah, I ended up uh day one-ing with the switch. 
it was a debate, an internal debate with myself as to where am I really going to spend this amount of money just to play this one game? I do have a Wii U sitting here. I yeah. could just buy the game, but I just got suckered in by all the excitement and mm. um, enthusiasm around uh, around the Switch console, and and Breath of the Wild was the perfect game, you know, entry point for that console. I I was really really excited for this on the lead up. Um, I remember all the stuff that was coming out of Nintendo Directs and just immediately being. Um, charmed by the art style and the music and all of that stuff and then the reviews hit and it was just oh okay uh right so i i really really need to play this then so zelda is actually one of the few series that my my partner cat really loves as well mm-hmm. so she she's kind of dips in and out of gaming um but zelda's one of her like big that she just loves it and um it was really great kind of playing this with her because usually when I when I've got a game that I'm really excited for, she'll just start kind of reading a book or something while I'm mm. while I'm playing the game. It was so great to play this with somebody who was just completely transfixed and and and, and enthusiastic about and as enthusiastic about it as I was, just playing along with me. And and there was it came to a point when I was a decent way through where i actually had to fight for control over the switch um while while trying to get through this because um cat actually wanted to get hands on with it and play through her own uh, her own campaign yeah um and that was just really exciting to to experience and um and this was one of the, like my kind of before we kind of dump you know jump into the game i think my my memory my one of the most positive memories i have with this game is just it being kind of a source of bonding between me and my my girlfriend because nice. we 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 really we really um clicked with this and and we ended up talking really passionately about it and having long conversations about why it works so well so yeah um i completed it on year of release and um i've kind of just been picking at it ever since i've still yeah. got a couple of shrines that i haven't completed and a couple mm. of things that i haven't uh ticked off the list but it's just one that i dip in and out of um every now and then when i've got a train or a plane journey or something like that i've never really stopped playing it mm, nice mikhail I played The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild very close after its release, I should say, uh, on a friend's Switch at his place. He invited me to uh, come and uh, and marvel at his uh, Switch. And I, I could have uh, bought the Wii U version, but I wanted... Yeah, I, I was planning to buy a Switch anyway, and I thought like that would be the perfect way to christen it with. But it took until the summer, until uh, I got we got our own... Um, yeah, our own Switch and uh, my own copy of the game. I also remember that I downloaded snipper clips, cut it out together as soon as we got it. Because I thought, oh, that might be something fun for the kids to and me to play around with. Because uh, I'm sure that's, that uh, Breath of the Wild will be a little a step too, too difficult for them to mm. really get to grips with. But as it turned out, we all eventually got our own uh, safe games on our own profiles. And yeah, the, the three of us 
sort of started playing it, watching each other play, playing, uh, what, uh, helping each other out with each other's sessions, and then all getting our own very own sto- uh, stories throughout the game. You know, like uh, yeah. they would go other places than I would go, and they would tell me of the the things they've seen and uh, encountered, and uh that has continued pretty much up until the uh the day of t- today uh where we still still do this it's uh yeah a super special game for for the three of us my son actually really wants to have that motorbike from the DLC yeah. so and uh, he's always sort of avoided the most dangerous confronta- uh, confrontations and challenges to you know, clear a lot of the story content, uh, and he's has seen me struggle with a lot of that. But now he's actually, yeah, trying to get the divine beasts out of the way and doing some of the the challenges, like the banana fortress thing as well. Did you uh, mention yeah. before? And to his uh, big surprise, he uh, he's actually able to clear uh, a lot of that by himself uh, without handing me the controller. And he's he's uh, grown up two years. Uh, obviously. Exactly. Yeah, that's and, yeah. <laughs> two years have passed since we first started playing this game. So yeah, really special times and a lot of memories and a lot of stories all together. Uh, yeah, uh, I didn't have a Switch when it came out. I wasn't uh, in a position to be able to get one either financially or actually stock-wise because I hadn't sort of planned ahead in this regard. Uh, so I quite happily sent uh, ordered for the Wii U version. It arrived a couple of days early and I got going ahead of schedule, which, um, which was quite exciting. Um, and I played that version for 90 hours over two years and just wrapped it up the other day and um yeah i haven't 100 percented everything um just yet uh but you know beat the boss and all that sort of stuff and yeah 90 hours so um certainly not inconsiderable but there's a whole lot more you can do if you want to there we are i will give a spoiler warning because there is a story uh, it's probably not what many of us are here for, but I know there are, you know, huge fans of the the Zelda mythos and the lore, and it matters a lot. I think, as I understand it, Breath of the Wild's place is uncertain. It uh, seems yeah. like it might be far in the future. We know it's hun- 100 years after this particular incarnation of Ganon turns up, and this kind of, you're basically in, an, in a post-apocalyptic Hyrule, although it's pretty pleasant for all that in, in most in most ways. Uh, but obviously there's a lack of there's a lack of human beings around. There's some, um, but all the all the various, well, not all, but some of the classic Zelda tribes uh, remain and endeavor to uh, yeah, continue their lives in, in their corners of the map kind of thing. Uh, working titles included Hyrule Wars from The Legend of Zelda and The Legend of Zelda Invasion. Early concept art also shows Link would have ridden a motorcycle and played electric guitar, which we've also seen before in Majora's Mask, of course. Uh, but the motorcycle concept was actually included in the DLC and uh, as an unlockable bonus. Uh, so we will talk a little. I don't think we'll probably go to town about this. Um, and although uh, I don't think this is also a game where we need to have particularly extended in-depth political conversations, but I think uh, we had a couple of really interesting bits of correspondence which also tied to Mikhail talking about playing with his kids uh, so the baboon baron says while i love the updated and ruined hyrule setting some of the characters stayed in the 1990s zelda's portrayal particularly grated as in flashback upon flashback she's portrayed as a weak and panicked ruler placing her faith incorrectly this is not the chic or the tetra i look for in zelda similarly the scene where link must dress as a girl 
to gain entry to the Gerudo village, a village where all the occupants are obsessed with finding a husband, was tone deaf. I I kind of agree with what uh, Baron's saying here. I I it's not enough. It's it's so brief the instance uh, the instances of this that it doesn't really ruin it. You know, ruin the story for me. But like the the you know when you're when you're trying to get the uh, the female clothing off of um, someone who's clearly a meant to be a male dressed as a woman, a male Gerudo dressed as a woman, and it, and it yeah. does feel like it's being a bit transphobic, possibly. And I am not I'm not a huge fan of that, but mm. yeah, uh, it it it's so brief that it doesn't really impact. It's one of those things where it feels more old-fashioned than malicious, but yeah, that's not yeah, necessarily exactly. it give, gives it a pass. But um, but as you say, it is such a tiny, tiny moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are some female characters with some power and agency as well. It's just necessarily I, um, that. So the the first part of this, I have to say, I kind of disagree with. I don't, I don't think Zelda was portrayed necessarily as weak and panicked. I think. Mm-hmm. You see her under stress, and you see that um, she's having a lot expected of her from her by her father, and yeah. is trying to find a different, in my mind, smarter way of of dealing with the situation. Instead of relying on unlocking her innate power, she's actually trying to work out rational kind of solution to the situation. She's trying to go through history and learn and uh, educate herself to see if another solution can be found. There are two issues I have. Not necessarily that I think the way that she is portrayed in flashback is to, to me a problem. It's that her role is so small in mm. all of this. Like she, she is whilst you play this game, literally at the tail end of a hundred years, holding Ganon back. That's an incredibly impressive thing to be doing. But yeah, it all happens off powerful. camera. She's incredibly powerful, but it happens off camera, and her role is therefore distant at the very least, if not diminished. Uh, mm. That's disappointing. Yeah, I didn't necessarily think Zelda as portrayed in the game was yeah, stuck out to me as saying. a sore thumb. It's just that, yeah, I'd like to have seen more of her. I assume the that the the fact they went with the more traditional was partly for the sake of tradition and keeping the brand on brand and all that sort of thing, but yeah. also because rather like Super Mario Sunshine in, in 2002-ish, we um we now have animated cutscenes, voiced animated cutscenes, with uh, with voice characters and obviously yeah. giving the player an option and maybe sw- swapping the roles would have meant you know twice the amount of work in, in that res- regard. But we've and... heard that excuse from Ubisoft before and it didn't. Yes, work out, so, indeed. You know. But it, obviously there is a cost that comes with it. Whether that's you know just a, a justifiable reason not to do it is is a, is a different argument perhaps. But um, but it does make me wonder. Um, thinking about those uh, cutscenes that. What I would say is that I think the actual the design of all the NPC characters of the different races they're really great. Um, we've never seen them with such variety before. We've never been able to have like races of people where everyone is like every Goron is distinct from another and every Ruto is distinct from another with their different plumage and and different market different markings and all that kind of thing. Um, but I thought the the actual the script and voice acting was pretty disappointing, particularly the voice acting. My recommendation to anyone starting it now is Japanese. switch switch the voice acting to Japanese. Yeah. It's exactly um, what I've done for my second playthrough. Yeah, yeah. um, I, I mean it. The writing's still what it is, but um, at least it sounds better. Um, yeah, and maybe someone will tell me that actually the Japanese acting is just as stilted, Quite possibly and silly. Yes. But I, I don't. We can't notice. hear it because it's in the wrong yeah. language. 
out of language it always uh, that's yes. more forgiving isn't it yeah definitely. totally uh, weirdly this is a case where i think the story design and storytelling is stronger than the writing like so mm. the the way they thought about it like using the environment to kind of tell this story about this you know dead well recovering world that was dead that's now kind of bursting back into life and all yeah. the scattered uh, guardian carcasses all over the place and then having like the backstory being told through memories so you have to actually kind of go into the world and discover the story yeah. i think and it's interesting that... to piece piece those recollections together yeah. as well and it doesn't matter that you're probably not going to get them in the chronological order because yeah. it allows you to sort of do some working. Yeah, some some, uh, you know, you have to work it out with your with with your brain to and you can see play how them it back all fits whenever you like. Yeah, you can play them back in the in the mm. correct order exactly. So what it does, especially, of course, amnesia is a terrible cliche, uh, but once again, it's here to really yeah serve the game's overall design. Uh, so what it what it does actually is to it sort of goes a very long way to shatter the uh, the old ludo narrative dissonance problem, because you are you are meant to travel the land and you are meant to grow and gain your old powers back before you can even think about heading to the castle. Not that that's that's stopping certain people from yep. diving straight. You can up do the a chrono trigger and, going, and go straight there. Go straight to the final boss, but yeah. it makes sense that you yeah you have to sort of find your memories and find your powers back again. Yeah, so for for me actually, um, the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild is uh, one of the strongest stories I've ever experienced in a video game, mm. and that's not in th- not uh, in thanks uh, due to, due to the writing or due to um, yeah the the cutscenes or the story bits, but it's because all the little stories that you uh, with with Link sort of yeah that sort of appear throughout your yes. huge adventure to overthrow Ganon in the end. And it's your story because it's all these little things that you do and, and all these little choices and all these little adventures and side side tracks and everything that appear yeah. that make make it your sort of your own uniquely personal adventure. Yeah, absolutely, because of the mechanics being so flexible. Yeah. yeah. yeah and Nutraptor says on the forum, this game means even more to me because it was one of the first games that I could truly share with my daughters. They were eight and ten at the time. We each had a save file and we would swap stories about the different things we'd seen and discovered. We would offer each other tips and encouragement. Despite all my gaming experience, the controls and mechanics were so intuitive and user-friendly that they could jump right in and they discovered many of the game's environments and secrets before I did. I was delighted when they tracked down and learned how to tame horses before I had. I remember the time we first saw a dragon elegantly and slowly cruising through the sky of the game world. Not as, as, a, as a specific scripted event, but just there in the world. If my daughters had any complaints about the game, then it would be that they would love to have been able to play through the game as Zelda herself, rather than just as Link. This is something that emphasised to me the importance of representation in video games and media in general. We all have the capacity to empathise with characters, even from different backgrounds to ourselves, but there is a different dimension when a character shares specific features and commonalities with you. My daughters thought Link was great, but they would have been able to identify even more with a female protagonist who had her own agency. We are told that Zelda has been using her power to hold back Ganon's evil for many years, but it's not often that we get to see her ability and agency directly. Even in the final confrontation, she bestows her power to Link for him to deliver the final blow against Ganon, 
rather than doing it herself. This point is our only real criticism though, and even then it is more an aspiration for the future rather than an actual criticism of the game itself. Let's talk graphics. The visual, the aesthetic and the technical. Uh, Steve Norman from the forum says, I started Breath of the Wild the same night I finished Ocarina on 3DS a couple of months later and for the next 90 hours reveled in the glorious looking enormous version of a world I'd recently become very familiar with and surprisingly attached to. I felt genuine sadness visiting places like the Temple of Time and seeing its decayed state in such stunning detail. But more often than not, just wow, look how far we've come. I just want to say before you guys carry on, I think for me, Breath of the Wild is the most stunning, beautiful and immersive game world that I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, I've yeah. never felt anything like it. And it's still absolutely when, when I start playing that game every time, I'm just like immediately yeah. sucked in. Um, yeah. and obviously it's not just the graphics but the graphics are a huge part of that and the 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 engine it's a lot itself. of little things that make up for it and mm. yeah you're like you were about to say the engine overall mm. is the high level of interactivity and uh with with everything but there's something about breath of the wild wild that marvels on how lifelike it feels rather than how yeah. lifelike it yeah. looks when you when it's moving when the light's changing when the dust the cloud of dust is coming up off the ground and and all that that's it really does cut like the and the title fit seems to feel so perfect for the game to me in yeah. that respect there's there's consistency to everything with all the mechanics and the way that the game looks and sounds and feels that all comes together in a way i think from the moment you start on top of the, the great plateau and you can see even on that microcosm you can go mm. to all the places and you can also look over the edge and see where you're going the to rest go. of the it's, world yeah, yeah it's really striking i actually came to an edge of the world wall the other day and i was a bit it was a bit heartbreaking in a way because yeah, yeah, I'd never yeah. felt that like uh, it did feel like you could go everywhere. Yeah, and, it, and it's not that ele elegantly handled either. <laughs> no, that's, it's not. Uh, that's but it's so rare. But, and, and but in a so in a game where you can climb up pretty much everything, yeah, it, I struggle to think even how to handle that. The way the environment changes almost seamlessly from area to area as well. You don't even realize. I mean, Horizon has this too to an extent where you suddenly realize that you've gone from a lush jungle and you're now in the snowy wastelands and you've just walked all the way there. Um, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's, it's just a marvel. The water is especially stunning as well yeah you kind of touched on this earlier leon screenshots don't really do it justice no, because no. it you have to see it in motion and for me what what makes this game is the animation just the way yeah. things move like the grass on the yeah. hilltops as the sun's coming up and the wind's blowing and that grass is swaying and it just feels like Oh, it's just achingly beautiful. I know that's such a cliche thing to say, <laughs> but like I Will genuinely, there, there were moments when I was playing it with Cat, yeah. and I'm just like, oh my God, this game just looks so good. I remember and doing stuff like in Ocarina of Time in 1998, over yeah. 20 years ago now, just standing there and looking around. And mm. as, and I'm still, I'm not saying I never do that in other games, but even compared to those other games we've mentioned with their incredible top tier realistic graphic engines i've done as much of it in this as i have in yeah. you know, any other game just just standing and watching and yeah and it's not just it's not like looking at the details so much it's just taking the whole thing in yeah yeah, yeah. and part of it as well uh, is obviously the audio 
the the Switch version is even more kind of bustling with with sound effects for for extra pigeons and things like that, um, Beatles that you don't get in the Wii U version. Um, that's a huge part of it. But also the music, we need to talk about it. There's three composers uh, worked on the game: Manaka Kataoka, Yasuaki Iwata, and Hajime Wakai. And I think overall, it's fair to say that the score is minimalistic and piano led. But I think, and and that's probably what stays with you, just those little stings of music that kick in in certain places. But I I think it's also really important to acknowledge that the the themes that are there, the village themes that play when you go into areas of inhabitants, or the themes which um, play in some of the cutscenes, like when the divine beasts activate, there's some really grand orchestral stuff in there, which is, you know, kind of, I think, top tier Zelda music. It's just used very sparingly. This is an area where I think um, the influence of Dark Souls is, has, is being felt because one of the things that game does so brilliantly is actually, you know, removing the music entirely and allowing the soundscape of a level to actually be the be the thing that adds emotion and tension to the scene rather than orchestral music. And then what that allows the the composers to do is when they do bring in the music mm. it's for really memorable moments and so, and so every time like a theme does kick in it sticks in your head i mm. like the guardian theme whenever those guys crop up and that mm. that p- panicked piano starts playing yeah. that is just <laughs> glued in my brain it's like yeah. a, like it's part of my animal brain that i start to panic the moment really, i hear those en- enhances those, the moments yeah yeah absolutely and and yeah just letting and just having that music just go away just complete like so like it's brave i feel like the the bravery of um just having the confidence that the sounds of the world are enough dave lawrence eight from the forum says while most of the series has presented these grand fantasy epics and memorable soundtracks breath of the wild does something different it stays mostly silent to me this makes it a poignant soundtrack you have the piano interludes when you stumble across something in the environment and you have the classic theme drift in while horseback riding at night. Then there's each village's theme, the callback of Rito Village and the addictive nature of Tarrytown. For me, the soundtrack is at its best in Hatano Village. I find excuses to make my way back to Link's house just to hear the xylophone or marimbas, I can't tell, start up and the achingly beautiful string part. <laughs> Uh, Sean S. Thomas says, I adore the use of sound in Breath of the Wild. I'll always remember the assault on Hyrule Castle the most vividly. The way that classic theme starts as you set foot within the castle's perimeter will always stay with me. It's such a clever trick. Hold back a conventional cinematic score for 200 hours until the point where you forget they ever existed and then they hit you with it at the bitter end. It was the icing on an already tasty cake and the perfect finale. Let's crack on to gameplay. There's a lot of it. There's a lot to talk about. And here's where, obviously, we'll also hear from some of those people who just didn't click with it. I wanted to say as well, before we continue, that um, I'm not sure exactly how many of the Kane and Rince team, which uh, numbers 20 in terms of regular contributors now, uh, have played it. I would say at least half of the team have played it to some extent. And two two of the team did not get on with this game. They didn't hate it. They just didn't love it. Uh, that's Leah and Sean, they wanted me to tell you that. Um, and <laughs> similarly, uh, we've heard from uh, from several contributors, also in the three-word reviews later on, 
who had issues with certain elements of the game. And I think while we don't want to, because obviously we're all, this is confirmation bias, the four people who are on this show wanted to be on the show to talk about this game that they liked pretty much. Uh, we do also want to address some of those concerns and understand why there were issues for some people with the nature of the gameplay in, in Breath of the Wild. Uh, Dom's Beard says, I have tried and failed on four occasions to play this game. It boils down to it making itself too difficult to get into. The weapons degrading system is a farce and freezing to death if you go the wrong way. Early doors got tedious very quickly. I enjoyed all the shrines I took on, but I have filed this under It's Not You, It's Me. So yeah, that game world, um, exploring, we've already sort of hit on it with the graphics and the sound really, but it's such a big part. It, it is this massive, open, genuinely open game world, uh, give or take. T-Bone254 says, while I have enjoyed playing through the Zelda games as they evolved over the years, the original that was released on the NES remains my personal favourite. I think it's because somewhere along the way, the Zelda games became less about discovering hidden secrets and more about solving puzzles. This isn't a bad thing, but my preference lies with the former because that sense of accidental discovery is so gratifying. I see Breath of the Wild as a magnificent return to form to what made the first Zelda really special. Yeah, having played the first Zelda in the in the 80s, I could definitely see that as well. And you, you could see this, uh, this game being uh, very closely tied to... Miyamoto's original vision, which is uh, you know been recounted so many times. They've said, that, haven't they, that they went back. The studio went back to the original yeah. to look at what people loved about it. Um, and I think there was obviously we we got all the way up to Skyward Sword and we talked about that game and we thought it had some definite merits and some great stuff about it. But if there was one thing that kept coming up time and time again was that it was holding your hand too much. Um, I think this kind of uh, will feed in a little bit to my overall opinion of this game because. Link to the past, my lasting memory of that is nothing to do with solving any puzzles, I have to say. It's much more the exploration. And actually, I much more strongly remember the overworlds rather than my time in the individual hmm. dungeons them, themselves in that yeah. game. Um, and uh, so, so for me, this very much feels like my memory of that as my first Zelda game. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I completely uh, agree with this. This was all about the exploration rather than any kind of um, puzzle solving for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, Link to the Past is um, is is much more guided than the original Legend of yes. Zelda is, yeah. uh, but it masks it quite well, of course. But there yeah. are a lot of uh, yeah blockers of uh, of progress that you need certain items to get. Yeah, get and to that certain was the big places. thing with uh, Link Between Worlds was that. Yeah. Although the map was very similar, they circumvented that side of things. Yeah, yeah. It's actually and, interesting and, and that it's... you you mentioned uh, the mm. the blocking of paths there because we'll come on to it. But the, the 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 stamina meter, which effectively and the rain in the area that uh, that many people end up first, it possibly funnels you in that direction towards yeah. Zora's yeah. domain, and the cliff climbing and and the fact that a lot of people to me that sort of saying you know I can't go anywhere yet was kind of like saying, well, in Link to the Past, I should have had the gloves that allowed me to, allowed me to lift any stone from the start. Like, why yeah. should you? Like, the, the game is deliberately making sure that you do certain yeah. things before you do certain other yeah. things. And ultimately, everything will be open. And in this case, it's actually very early compared to a lot of video games, but it's not immediate. And that seemed to, no. that seemed to count, counter what some people were hoping and expecting for. Well, the, the plateau is basically... That's the the uh, compulsory part that yes, you need to true. to get through to get yes. your powers. 
Uh, and make no mistake, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is still sort of guiding you in a sense because yeah. there are areas that are much more dangerous to travel to than yeah. others. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, areas that are uh, yeah, hard, much harder to reach. So like you said, the stamina meter is a thing uh, in that and, and, and rain on, uh, on scalable surfaces. But there's nothing hard stopping you from from actually trying to get to those places and mm. going there and most places actually can still be reached through roundabout ways or through some really crazy resourcefulness and uh some, Use of some the physics. special yeah. tricks yeah mm -hmm. exactly yeah. and uh, yeah that's kind of how the the game is designed there's there you know it is guided but there's nothing giving you the hard stop uh, stop sign i think what it does really cleverly is most of the 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 closest thing it has to walls to your progress are just really, really tough enemies. So Hyrule Castle, for example, is just covered in guardians. And early on in the game, they're just so hard to deal with and are so terrifyingly deadly. Yeah, well, and, nothing to do with them. And, but I think what's clever about that design is that if you're inexperienced, if you're if you're new to the game, you just you know you bump into those guys and then you just immediately go, okay, this clearly isn't. I'm clearly not ready for this. I'm going to go somewhere else. Mm. But if you're good at the game, if you've mastered the systems, which loads of speedrunners have, you can get past these obstacles. You can overcome it. And I just love the fact that the game gives you that choice. Like, if you feel like you're confident enough and you feel like you know the game yeah. well enough, you can just, go, you know, go straight to the end. And, yeah, I even though I personally will never, ever have the skill to pull off any of that, right. I just kind of like that it's possible i kind of like that yeah. the game allows for that freedom even if it's not going to be available to everyone uh nutraptor says the main wonder of the game comes from the combination of the core mechanics and the game world itself you very quickly realize that you have two defining abilities from very early on first the ability to climb on virtually any surface in the game this means that the possibility for exploring the environment is unlimited there are very few games that offer that level of freedom the second is the acquisition of the glider that further speeds up your ability to explore and incentivizes vertical exploration. Then you do have the game world itself. It's so rich, beautiful and teeming with new things to see and do. There are Koroks hiding under rocks or behind mini environmental puzzles. These give you a quick burst of satisfaction for solving them. There are monster encampments to discover and strategize how best to approach and defeat. There are shrines to discover and puzzles to overcome, which each challenge you in new ways and encourage you to explore the depths and flexibility of the game's mechanics and physics. There are so many things scattered throughout the environment to make exploring an endless joy, whether it be puzzles, combat, or simply another amazing view or new environment to see. So I completely agree with Nutraptor there. That's my experience. But you do hear, you read, we will hear from people saying, it's an empty world with nothing to do in it. The rewards aren't good enough. The Korok seeds are repetitive mini puzzles. Um, why should I care about any of this stuff? Can we in any way put our finger on why some people are so completely engrossed and captivated in this world and why others don't find it in any way compelling to explore? Leah said something interesting on the chat today. She yeah. said, like, I like to be able to work off checklists, which is perhaps diametrically opposed to what I like to do in uh, in games. And maybe that's why 
if we call Breath of the Wild uh, an open world game, mm. it's the first open world game I, n- I never got bored with. And mm. I continue to play to this day because it feels it feels more much less like a numbers uh numbers game or uh w- one thing i dread going in uh, when i uh, play something like oblivion or skyrim is uh, skyrim is going into a village and talking to people and see a quest log fill up with endless uh, endless things in it <laughs> i like it that. starts to <laughs> it starts to feel like a to-do list you know it starts it to does, feel like yeah. work work for me and ah, oh, you know there's there's this compul- you do get that in this to an extent though you do get, you, there is a list of questions you, you don't yeah, need to pay but, attention to it though yeah, exactly. It it's it's it can be easily ignored, especially with the pro HUD. And I f- I feel like well done for mentioning for the pro it, HUD. I think that's something that I would recommend that everybody yeah. switches yeah. to as soon as possible when playing this game because I think the the basic HUD does the game a disservice. It's, yeah, it's yeah. too busy. Yeah, I think the the Korok seeds are something that I personally never wanted to get hung up on. Uh, I don't think. For me personally, as a player, it's not something I even want to complete. I don't want to. Find and the final reward is literally a, dro- a joke on the player, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you collect all nine hundred, yeah. you get some poo. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, it's more. That be- I think there are just so many cork seats so that you, you know, you always stumble across some to yeah. to expand your They're inventory really cute. slots. Why with. wouldn't you want to un- unlock a korok? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 it's fun the way they're they're there. But I think. More than any other game in the open world genre, I think uh, Breath of the Wild sort of rewards for me exploration and adventuring yeah. for exploration and adventuring's sake. Yeah. I, I feel more rewarded when I discover a unique structure or a strange yeah. area in the landscape and I want to you know, get, get up close and, and, and peer through its nooks and crannies totally. and, and, yeah. and, and look, look at yeah the, the environment and no other game has been able to nail that for me in the, in the, sense the recent the matthew matosis video on youtube uh, he's very analytical and um i agree with a lot of what he said and he's pretty much sort of uh, boils it down to intrinsic and extrinsic rewards which is where actually it's not it's just not about what's in the treasure chest it's just about having got to the treasure chest and opened it and also yeah shout out uh nutraptor mentioned it to the the sailcloth or whatever it is in this game, I can't remember the, the paraglider. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which ever since I've had it in this game, and I know it was uh, sort of there was there have been versions of it in other games. Obviously, Wind Waker and uh, games like Far Cry, Fly, or Far Cry Three, perhaps. Yeah, the Delta down. Glider. Yeah. yeah, but here it just feels it's always there. Pretty much once you complete, you get it for completing the opening area and getting all your your basic abilities and from yeah. then on you can just glide down from wherever you are obviously boosting your stamina helps keeps you yeah. in the air longer but it, it's just a joy i think and every yeah, time and, now and, i go to real you high think pl- about those enormously high mountains top something you uh, sometimes you stand up it's just wonderful to soar all the way down genuinely yeah. when i go to real life high places now i dream of just jumping off and holding out myself. Obviously, I don't do it. I've got better self-preservation <laughs> built in than that. But, but genuinely, I was up some stunning cliffs in in Ireland recently. I was just thinking, how fun would it be just to jump and parascend down there? Um, yeah, yeah. Talking about that stamina meter, LC the adventurer, appropriately enough, from the forum says, uh, once you find the foothill stable near Death Mountain, you notice a path leaving the stable worn into the landscape which isn't marked on your map if you follow the path 
it takes you through some caves and then to the shore of a lake. At first, I was disappointed that the path leads you nowhere. You notice it actually descends into the lake. And upon examining your map, you realize there is a path of shallow water you can follow across the lake, which leads to the hidden Sar Dahaj shrine. The Hyrule in Breath of the Wild is a tapestry of small puzzles like this, leading away from main paths and key landmarks and rewarding you with shrines, Korok seeds and treasure. I think this is a fundamentally different approach to open world design, which usually scatters destinations and events across an otherwise inert landscape. The result is that your exploration in Breath of the Wild is driven by curiosity and not by following markers on a map. Breath of the Wild is a masterclass in discovery and with its use of landmarks, landscape design, settlements, curiosities and vistas makes exploration fun and rewarding. Bang on. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that echoes a lot of what we said, although um, something yeah. that I kind of uh, was wondering whether I should bring up earlier when we were talking about the world overall or, or here, because paths are mentioned specifically, is um, the other day when I started writing my notes for this, I started waxing lyrical about desire paths, which is too often, I feel, and Far Cry 2, I think, is a good example of this, um, the, the world maps can feel like uh, routes to places that have been laid out by a developer drawing a map on you know out on a piece of paper um but that's not the way the world works yes paths are laid down and sometimes they can be footpaths or roads or or tracks or whatever it might be to link places together but the notion of desire paths is you know when you're walking along footpath and it goes around a piece of grass for example mm. and then you can see an area of the grass where a footpath's been worn away into it because people just don't want to walk around they'll walk across that's yeah. called a desire path and that is the notion that it's a, a weird name for it. i don't particularly like the name for it but it's this notion that kind of uh organically people will start to collectively take routes that make sense to them not necessarily the paths that are laid out in the world for us to take um and so many of the paths some of them on the map and some of them not in um, in Breath of the Wild's world map felt like that to me. They felt like people taking the path of least resistance, like a, mm. an electrical circuit or, or how water flows uh, <laughs> on, only down like the, the, the route that makes most sense. those are actually the to, solutions to some of the puzzles. <laughs> exactly. And so the, the comment there from Elsie the Adventure about the path from Death Mountain is a perfect example. The fact that something is there that's not on the map that seems like that's a mistake. It's not. It's meant to stand out. And I think that's really cool that you follow it, you keep going, even when it looks like you shouldn't, and you're rewarded for that. That's really, really cool. And one of the things they added in, I'm not sure if this is just part of the DLC or only on master mode, but one of the things that wasn't there at first but is now is the it actually you can actually look at your path you've been, that you've yeah. been walking across yeah. the game. Yeah, that's part of the DLC. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, which I thought was a nice, a nice touch. Yeah, really yeah. cool. Coming back to the game world, I know, but it it does it does feel given how big it is, how vast it feels, yeah, yeah. the amount of uh, the amount of stuff it feels that was put in place deliberately is yeah. mind boggling, um, and it doesn't feel like you know. And I, I'm absolutely not a hater of what Bethesda does with its with its RPGs, but I do understand the criticisms about it feeling like it's been you know, procedurally generated or copied and pasted to an extent. Yeah. I understand those criticisms. No, nowhere. And while I know there are criticisms about, you know, certain assets being reused and stuff in the case of the shrines, nothing in this game feels like it was just like, okay, well, we don't really know what to put in this part of the map, so we'll just put a bunch of trees. That's exactly what it doesn't feel like to me. It feels like everything was yeah. uh, curated and handcrafted, but obviously that's 
you know, we can't know and it's a subjective thing, but I feel the like... The game being very yeah. systemic, uh, you, you can't plan everything, of course, that's happening in Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched the, the GDC talks by, the, by some of the development team from no, Breath of the Wild. No, sadly not. Um, this game has been playtested to hell and back again. Yeah, I'm it's sure. Rigor- rigorously playtested. So a lot of stuff was um, discovered by yeah, Nintendo's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then they knew people the fact would it was left in that's the very creative testers. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The fact yeah. it was left but in that I love, and and so it meant that the first time you saw an updraft from a fire and mm. worked out that that would carry you as well, stuff like that that most people kind of uh, worked out either from from sharing it amongst friends or just they spotted it and saw it themselves. It's one of those. Is that something? Well, let's try it. And yes, it is. And yeah. it, it, with with so many of the systems, be it the, the cooking, be it uh, the fire, be it what you can do with the various abilities, the magnetism and the, the cry, cryosis. Um, and just, the stasis. Yeah, well. for sure. Stuff you can do with that, yeah. with loading up momentum on an object and then letting it go or grabbing onto it and letting it go. Um, yeah. Stuff mm. like that. Just having that stay in the game and letting players like in that portal-esque way, feel like a genius, even if they are doing something the developer expected, planned for, and right. knew, and mm. showing yeah. the player sometimes that they did plan for you to try and break the game in this way. Mm. In some of the yeah. shrines, you know, some of the way you think you're bring, breaking the game, you're actually not, you know. Mm. Dave Lawrence 8 says, Zelda is more than dungeons, more than items, more than the Triforce, or even the Master Sword. Zelda is first and foremost about adventure and discovery. It's about getting lost or trapped and finding your way back again. From the first Zelda through A Link to the Past, my favourite game of all time, and a few of the modern titles, these games are about exploration. Even Miyamoto said as much. It's this sense of discovery and exploration that Breath of the Wild brings back, and with the modern trappings of an open world philosophy, it makes for a beautiful and fun game. So on to something that is perhaps less beautiful, the UI, the UX, um, the the actual menus. Uh, I would say, you know, you spend quite a lot of time in them, um, yeah. sorting them out, using your uh, items. I would say that, you know, the actual depiction of the items in every case is is quite lovely. But the actual menus and stuff are, are a little bit functional. And I actually think, obviously, you're supposed to be looking into your Sheikah Stone and I suppose that sort of, you know, you've got these nice graphical effects and surrounds, but the actual yeah. menus are, are I, I would say, pretty basic. And that actually is an argument that they detract from the atmosphere and the immersion somewhat. Again, perhaps if, if the Wii U version had been the only version, we'd have seen something more interesting with this. Yeah, some inventory management on the tablet rather than, than yeah. having to go into them. Yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly. I, I, got, I definitely got used to it to the point where when people started mentioning it as an issue, I was not taken aback i got obviously what the complaints were um yeah. but I, I just got used to managing that and you know mm. going to a fire and cooking everything to clear out my, yeah. my inventory <laughs> and um and kind of yeah. getting used to uh managing my outfit if i was going to suddenly i'm walking along a path and suddenly i want to climb probably going to have to switch out my climbing because i was yeah. mostly in my some shortcuts would have been nice though wouldn't they um it would have saved a bit of time but i, I didn't bother i just Got used to it, I guess. They do provide the shortcut with the weapons and the shield and the bow. And Mm -hmm. I think because those are the items that I was swapping between the most, I think 
it didn't like James. It didn't really bother me. And if I'm being totally honest, this game reminds me a lot of Snake Eater when it comes to the yeah the food and and medicine and and stuff. Yeah, and that's a game I absolutely adore. And I was willing to forgive the UI in that game, <laughs> and I think I'm willing to forgive it here. I do get I I I get where you're coming from, Leon. I just I think I've. I'm I'm just imagining uh Demon Souls menu right now <laughs> yeah. and just yeah, the yeah. just the lists of numbers that mean absolutely nothing to me and then I've I'm thinking of the the UI for this and you've got link in the in the right and then just the nice list and of items and it's I mean, quite yeah. clear and and easy to use it's yes. I, it is dull but I, it was functional and and it got the job done. I just think some more, yeah. I think they could have been a bit more thoughtful once it did come over from being a Wii U exclusive. They could have yeah. done a bit more with uh, shortcutting, like equip armor set, you know, that kind of thing would have been quite nice. Yeah, yeah. I do like um, I do like how the uh, you know the the real time menu, like uh, not in the actual menu screen, but switching between weapons. Yeah, and, the, the uh, quick menus. Yeah. And sw- yeah. Sure, yeah. Between shields and everything. That works pretty well with uh, how the action is passed. Yeah. It's just yeah. like every time I haven't played the game for a couple of weeks, I need to get to grips with all, what all the buttons did mm. again, and you know which uh, which button to hold down while doing something else. You know? And again, I know we've already said it, but uh, I do recommend. I think we all recommend switching to Pro HUD ASAP yeah. to get yeah. the most yeah. out of this game because yeah. it gives you it actually not only does it clutter the screen, it also gives you I, arguably too much information. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and uh, actually yeah, that, temp- the temperature, noise level. When, yeah. when all of that information Link gives you himself. Exactly. If yeah, he's cold, he shivers. It's tautology. If he's hot, you can see him sweating. It's totally. Yeah. It, it's so much. It felt so unneeded that in in the first week or two of that game, the hot tip everyone had. It seems. I wish they'd been braver with social media. Pro- making Pro HUD the default HUD and having yeah, kind of yeah. easy HUD for yeah. people who who needed who need it, whether it's yeah. for accessibility reasons or just because sure. they didn't feel comfortable to go without it. But master mode, uh, you have even less, I think. Uh, possibly less on-screen information certainly very little anyway so we must have the conversation about uh, this will be the whole thing about combat and weapons and armor and enemies but the durability discussion has to be had because it's a huge sticking point for many people as we know and I think even some of us who love the game thought that perhaps it was a little bit overpowered Uh, Bixer from the forum says the reward in inverted commas of if, of finding a new weapon is instantly diminished when you realize that it's basically only going to last you for 10 to 20 hits before it vanishes into thin air you soon get to the stage where you're running past enemies and it seems a better choice than engaging in combat so that you don't have to deal with this as much and sludge wizard says whoever made the decision to make every stored sword stick and club out of glass spider webs should be in prison discuss I'm I'm actually a big fan of the destructible weapons and I'll state my case for this. <laughs> um I think when you've got a game like this that's so systems heavy, there's a risk of players kind of finding 
the the easiest the the path of least resistance and then just sticking to it now this is something um so there's this great video online that compares um uh, I'm, I've, I'm sorry whoever made this I've, I've i'm blanking on the name of you but uh, if you google uh breath of the wild uh, red dead redemption 2 comparison um mm. it's well, sure to come up i haven't seen um that. but um basically it argued that both of these games have loads and loads of systems that you can experiment with and do all sorts of things with in combat but because red dead redemption 2 doesn't limit the most powerful way in which you can um defeat enemies Mm -hmm. you end up just going into this pattern of just charging in and shoot, shooting people, charging in and shooting people, because it is just the easiest way of handling things. Mm. Whereas, with And that's Breath how some the... people want to play any game, right? Absolutely, sure. yeah. But with Breath of the Wild, I think what's clever and is, and is part of why I just find the combat so enjoyable is that it takes that best option that 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 most effective way of taking taking out uh, enemies and makes it a limited resource and says right you can't rely on this all the time you have to get creative you have to look at your environment you have to think there's a field that i can set on fire there's an explosive device over there there's some boulders up on that cliff and because I couldn't rely on my weapons being there for me all the time, I because I started to view them as like almost like um, a limited ammo count in a Resident yeah. Evil game or something like that, it meant that I approached every combat encounter with the environment in mind first before I charged in with my weapon. So yeah. if I could see boulders on top of a cliff, my I immediately snuck past the camp, go up the cliff, and just shoved boulders down and they tried to wipe out They definitely put those the there enemy. on purpose, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, yeah. You and see I, metal, metal objects, you start using magnesis to yeah, drop ab- them on enemies. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because the, com- the combat is just so much more than just the weapons in this game. Yeah. yeah. The, env- the yeah. environment can be your weapon. So I understand the yeah. criticism that perhaps the actual basic your basic sword play is less sophisticated in this than it was in wind waker or twilight princess and less satisfying but it's it's just one facet of many 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 facets and i guess maybe some yeah. of the people who found it frustrating would just you know have been completely ingrained to have it that you are you know you have a a never-ending unbreakable sword it's quite yeah. a leap isn't it and perhaps they could have just as a little compromise made it so that he auto equipped the next sword in the inventory or something like you could select which one would he would auto equip next like the next most valuable the next least valuable or something like that just just so you didn't have to constantly be or not constantly regularly be staccato stopping and going into those shortcut menus that was my frustration it broke the flow up i think uh, the the bigger issue why uh, people really have problems with the system is that we're sort of conditioned to hoard stuff, you know. You've got, you found this yeah. beautiful sword, and you don't want want to use it and uh, yeah. exactly. And so you want to hold on to it. And as a result, maybe you will never use it because you don't want to lose Just it. Just take a photo, uh, put it in your Hyrule the, compendium, and then smash it. It's or, fine. <laughs> yeah, or or hang it hang it on the wall in your house, you know. Right. I, once, you, uh, once you got that, um, but uh, yeah. 
the weapon that you, or the, the video that you shared uh leon why your weapons break in the legend of zelda breath of the wild by a youtube user called Steve, mm. made a good point and say that the weapons in this game are consumables yes so but we've not been conditioned to think of that uh no. them in uh well, as consumables and it's arguably in, a bit immersion breaking when it's a big you know a heavy a, a big steel heavy sword like it's not it, yeah. I, I can totally buy it when it's a tree branch that it breaks after yeah. you've smacked a sure. goblin well, three times well that's but... that's the thing because i've come to really love the way uh weapons work and break in this game um i think it was yeah last year i reviewed uh raging justice for um uh, uh, for the website, for the Canaries website, and your uh, your weapon pickups break Im- almost immediately after using it in that game, and I was sort of uh, upset at first that this game didn't play like Final Fight or the Streets of Rage, <laughs> but then it was kind of fun to pick up weapons, break them over somebody's head, pick up something new, throw it in somebody's direction yeah. across the screen, Chucking and stuff you, is good. so you you create this very different dynamic and. Uh, it's something similar in, in Breath of the Wild, of where you know once you know your weapon is breaking, it's immediately satisfying. It's very satisfying to just chuck it in, into the fa- face of a bokoblin and watch it shatter. And because of the amplified damage of a breaking weapon and the last yeah. hit and the throw, and it, through, yeah. you know, it's, you, it takes them out usually. And then you you run around, you scramble for something else, another thing you can use as a weapon, and you 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 enter these scenarios of beautiful chaos and mayhem uh which yeah it it i love the dynamics of the combat in this game including the the breakable weapon mm. system it's just like my one niggling thing my issue with, with that i have it, it it's you can you know the the suspension of the disbelief is just not there yeah. where an, an enormous um uh, claymore, claymore yeah just yeah. like we like shatters after uh, after a very short time yeah. and then you you just start thinking who made these weapons exactly like, yeah, yeah. You know, what kind of lousy 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 weaponsmith maybe they should literally have only have. had glass weapons in the game like everything <laughs> yeah, is yeah, yeah. you know technologically glass yeah. i uh, i think this this is a, a case where i think the aesthetic helps somewhat because if Breath of the Wild looked like Horizon Zero Dawn or <laughs> or Red Dead Redemption. This yeah. this kind of dissonance would be amplified tenfold. Yeah, critical. I think yeah. I think the fact that it's cartoony yeah. and cel shaded, I think just allows me to look past it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it is silly, but so so much of this world that I I can forgive it. I think it it works perfectly with how the game is designed and. Uh... Yeah, I, lo- I love, like I said, I love the dynamics of it. Yeah, it's just I, yeah, I, that, that one t- tiny little bit where I feel like... Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> The, yeah. the the one other aspect I just thought of is um, the way that it makes you more sparingly use weapons with elemental effects. Because yeah. if the fire weapons or the ice weapons were just, you know, permanent, um, I would use them all the time on mm. every enemy. Like that, I, the ice weapons are so powerful yeah. um, against uh, yeah. even just regular enemies. But because um, I know they're more effective against certain enemy types, Hot enemies. I say I save them for a rainy day. Yeah. And, uh, well, and 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 another thing about the weapon durability is also like earlier on in the game, you you know you you found this remote cave, and in it is a treasure chest containing a flame blade and you think oh i'm never going to get rid of this weapon you know yeah. it's uh, i'm never going yeah, to yeah. use it because i don't want to lose it but by the end of the game you know you can there are very little weapons that are actually rare 
And in the overworld, not inside the chests and shrines, but in the overworld, weapons actually respawn. So you can uh, you can find them again after uh, they've disappeared for a little while. So the the hoarding things, the hoarding aspect becomes sort of moot because no no yeah. almost no weapons are very tough to to acquire again. I'm brought to mind of a discussion we had about Burnout Paradise, about restarting events <laughs> when you've failed them. And I conceded then that the putting in of that as an option afterwards gave me the option to not restart an event, which I didn't want to do. I was happy to drive on and find something else to try. Mm, yep. Whereas I think everyone else on the panel then, yourself included, Leon, yep. very much felt like that was something that was missing from the game. And when it was put in, it was writing that wrong. I'm going to be a bit more bullish about it this time because I, I, I was concerned then that had the option to restart been in, I would have done what I frequently do with driving games, which is as soon as a race starts to go wrong, restart. Because I already know I'm behind. If I need to get close to a perfect yeah. lap, as it were, mm -hmm. I'll just restart as soon yeah, as I make so a mistake. So it takes some of the... the, the the tension and the and the drama absolutely out it. Yeah. and it what it would mean is i didn't learn the map as well and obviously i'm not learning the map with the weapon degradation and i should probably say um weapons do degrade but there's no degradation in no. the performance of the weapons right. the degradation is just a meter and they're the problem people or have smashed. is, is yeah. that the weapons break and yeah. there's no recovery from that so like dark souls ding 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 um same thing weapons degrade <laughs> but when they break, you can take them to a blacksmith. So there's a penalty for letting them break. In this, there's no way to recover from that. So you accept very, or I accepted very early on, right, these weapons, not only are enemies that I'm defeating going to drop weapons I could use to defeat them again, that means I'm always getting from an enemy I'm fighting a weapon of similar strength that I will need in this particular local area. If I'm in a horde of Bokoblins, Bokoblin drops a weapon that's perfectly suitable to beat a Bokoblin. Um, but also, if I then go out of that area to somewhere else, choose the weapon appropriate to the enemy you're fighting. As Josh said, do not waste a top-tier weapon on an enemy you don't need to be using it for. Save a Guardian weapon to beat a Guardian um, and and stop and, th and really think about yeah. that. So if that meant going and finding a tree branch to beat a Bokoblin to get a club that I could use for a bit to save another weapon, I, I did that. A lot of it's um, observation and learning, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and not just going down the, the base route of just, just next sword, next sword, next sword, next sword. Yeah, and, and again, to, to bring Dark Souls into it, I'm not suggesting that's the first game to have done any of this stuff or the prototypical one. It's just a handy point of reference because I've talked about it so much. Um, but... In, in that game, you're building your character to suit a weapon. So you have to invest in that weapon. You have to rely on that weapon. In this one, you're not. The, the way that you're amplifying your character is in almost no way to the weapon. Any weapon you can pick up. And there's a little bit of difference in how different weapons work. And again, I loved learning. Okay, this is a spear. I'm going to need to change how I am fighting this enemy right now, mid-battle. Link's handy with all of them. Yeah, links handy with all of them, but it, I need to be on my toes a little bit because I've now pulled after this sword I had. Spear is my next best weapon for this fight, but it's going to require yeah. me to think a little bit differently about how I'm fighting. And it's not much. I'm still dodging the same way. I'm still getting the the flurry attacks and whatever. But it meant I had to learn the combat. And as McKeel said, knowing where the weapons were, I went back into this game for the first time in two years because I had not played it since the end of March. 
um, 2017 until this weekend. I went straight to the Zora's Domain Shrine, straight round the back, picked up a Royal Broadsword, straight out, hopped over two paths to the exact location of a Silver Sword and Silver Shield. I knew, muscle memory, I swear to you, exactly where those yeah. weapons were. I then went straight to my house in Hatino, two giant iron sledgehammers, one at the side, one around the back. I knew where they were because this game forced me to learn. I know I'm the worst apologist for games that kick me in the face, and I will <laughs> ask for more. And I gentlemen. know I am, and I, 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 can't, I can't say that that means it's for everyone. It's I can say not. that no. it, it, it is for me, and that that makes it okay in my eyes i understand I and appreciate it's not okay it's safe to say that uh nintendo based on the feedback even if they're you know unapologetic in some ways about their design choices i think they will be looking at some kind of variant or compromise on the system be, they used in this because i think yeah. it was too too much of a uh, you know it's one thing to have things in games that people are less keen on but we know this that common, this was a yeah. total non-starter for a lot of players so yeah yeah uh maybe a monster hunter type system where you have to keep sharpening or something like that you know where you have to run off and scurry away and use a whetstone or something to get it going again or yeah. i don't know i'm sure they're looking at, at various options uh scrussell says the magic runes that give you the ability to manipulate physics in various ways allow for some very creative puzzles and have lots of utility outside of dungeons too they also feel like an appropriately modern take on the zelda puzzle item trope by expanding the possibilities of what you can do with them in non-scripted ways uh, i think we've already sort of hinted at some of those um and yes i think uh, given the nature of your your melee weapons, uh, it's really quite a good idea to become very au fait with the capabilities of your various magic powers yeah. and the fact that you now have infinite bombs with a fairly quick cooldown on. Yeah. Mm. I also have to say that uh, Master Mode made me look at the breakable weapons in a very different way. Like, I started to avoid f fights like rather than yes. look for them. Uh, well, as, as some people did anyway, as we've heard. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah that was my go-to, yeah. I don't think we have the, the time to go into the depth of master mode, but suffice to say, uh, I've just started it and it turns it into a kind of hardcore survival game rather than a fun, friendly <laughs> RPG. Health resources, food and cooking. Um, I just really uh, wanted to talk about a couple of elements on this. Leah said that she found the cooking really boring um, because you have to basically stand there for ages. You can skip a bit of the animation. Um, you soon... I find once you start observing what ingredients go with that, what it, it's actually very easy to, or fairly easy to make yourself a huge old stock of things that will not only completely heal you, but also more than heal you and give you some plus hearts as well. Uh, but one thing I wanted to talk about with this was, um, James, you played the game entirely vegan. Is that right? Until, uh, yes. Until so you accidentally fried some chickens. No, there, there's a couple <laughs> of quests. There's a couple of quests where you have to hunt and or have to actually cook yeah. some meals for someone uh, in okay. a couple of side quests. So I, you I compromised your morals. avoided doing those until the point where completionism set in, but I was delighted. So what happened on the uh, uh, Great Plateau, there's uh, next to where you find the old man, very near there, I think, there's a fire with a spit roast over the top of it. I went over to the fire, not spotting the, the spit roast over the top of it, and it just gave me a prompt to pick up and i realized i'd picked up a piece of cooked meat you could have um, just given it to a dog though uh well at, at that point i just dropped it um i i, <laughs> I inadvertently picked it up and didn't think about it but 
for some reason I thought, well, I've not, I've got plenty of other stuff that I can just eat for random bits of health or whatever. And this was way before I'd learned about recipes and cooking and whatever. Um, and I just thought, no, I, I, let's see. And I was so pleasantly surprised um, that the cooking and the the food in this game were flexible enough that at no point did I need for health or for stamina or for any of the the different uh, meals or potions that I prepared for myself. Well, meals, I guess. I never really used much of the the actual potions themselves. Eggs um, and milk are pretty handy. Did you count monster parts as vegan or not? Uh, well, as I say, I, I barely used any of the potions. So oh, okay. with the meals themselves, I, I never felt a need for them. And I felt like I was I getting enough I think it would be harder on master mode to avoid Yeah, probably, quite possibly. <laughs> um, but I, I never felt I needed them. I kind of looked into it, uh, how to do it, because... The, the cooking I actually found quite intuitive. At first I was worried that I was going to need to be memorizing loads of specific recipes, but actually once you realize that yeah. if you put in two different special ingredients, they're going to cancel one another out. So yeah. you wanted to be just putting in one special ingredient for uh, heart, for health or, or stamina or whatever it might be, um, and then kind of bulking up with other stuff to add just to the it's a typically the Zelda RPG uh, trope, or not trope, but um, approach that you can only yeah. have one status effect in effect at any one time, whereas yeah. in a sort of more D&D style RPG yeah. or JRPG, you can have like yeah. umpteen status effects simultaneously. Yeah. But but even without indulging in the potions, I found I was more than capable of getting myself to the end of the game just with the meals I was cooking. And... <laughs> um, uh, and and I I liked the fact that the the cooking itself was kind of a mini version of preparing your potions in Witcher, for example, yeah. to go out on a hunt. I I knew, okay, I've got all these ingredients. I need to start clearing some of them. Just start cooking everything in sight. Okay, I've got way too many of this type of meal. Sell all of that and made quite a lot of money actually. You can make from, a lot of money from yeah good cooking. from from yeah. doing that. Yeah. So always had Different a stock on me and and was fine. I also really like the experimentation uh, that cooking grants you. Like yeah. things usually would make sense by combining different ingredients, yeah. and it's it was different from just having a list of recipes that you acquire through the game and just and and just ticking off the ingredient boxes. And there's so, some great humor in so, there as well. The the fact that he chucks just the whole bottles of things yeah. in there. Um, I love that. And, and then he just ha- happily merrily watches as the. The, the ingredients are dancing in the pan. The fact that the dubious little, uh, food is pixelated humming. out as well. And he'll eat yeah. it. You can't poison yourself, but you can make him make a face. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 I think, like, just to just to kind of touch on what McKeel's talking about there, like, I think that's my favorite thing about this system is that it's, even though obviously within the game's code there is a recipe list, um, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like you're kind of following, like with the witch. Yeah. You, James, you brought up the Witcher. Mm, yeah. With that, when you're preparing potions, there's a strict kind Specific. of. You need yeah, five of this, yeah. four of this, three of this, and that's how you make whatever witch repellent, whatever, yeah. whatever it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas with this, it, it it kind of replicates the feeling of. Okay, what have I got in the fridge? Oh, yeah, got totally. This, yeah, got yeah. This. It's like okay, let's just cook, let's cook. just whip something up. Use it. Oh, actually, this is pretty good. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. That, that and I like that kind of. It, it's kind of again feeding into the kind of the core theme of this game, which is 
discovery and experimentation, kind of experimentation yeah. and just allowing you to kind of see what see what you have see what you've got and if you create something great wonderful you've discovered that for yourself if it's just kind of a basic four-hearter meat steak then well it's not it's not the end of the world that's still useful um yeah really love that i'm still chuckling about the time i created sneaky creamy seafood soup which uh which sounded like a euphemism for something else (laughs) from the forum says uh, the team making breath of the wild must have been familiar with that old picasso line that goes something like good artists copy great artists steal because this title rifled through gaming's historically great offerings with all the zeal of a yeager clansman scouring donkey kong's pantry portal seems like a particular touch point for the shrines both in decoration and puzzle design even going so far as to have the kuta car shrine employ a companion cube made of ice and I couldn't help but think of Shadow of the Colossus, both for the scalable stamina system and more importantly and impressively, that feeling of crossing an often sparsely populated landscape only to come upon a multi-step puzzle disguised as a kind of kaiju of such scale and majesty that it makes the player swoon and ache. Again, the aching. Um, Scrussel though says the dungeons are something of a disappointment. The main Divine Beast dungeons were underwhelmingly short and innumerous and didn't feel like they took full advantage of their layouts. Aside from perhaps the Gerudo Beast, the ability to control them from the inside felt like it didn't have as much impact on puzzles as it could have. There's also the issue of how, with the game being so non-linear, that meant that no dungeon could really build upon the ideas of a previous one and be significantly more complex than any other. The shrines suffer from the similar problems. While they have got a lot of very neat ideas for puzzles, they all feel quite isolated meaning that they can never go above a certain level of complexity. And of course, having all of them share that same brownstone look makes them blend together in terms of personality too. How do you feel about this? Again, another commonly uh, levelled criticism, the the shrine's uh, similarity to one another and the lack of traditional dungeons. Personally, um, I enjoyed... I think the puzzles in the shrines are some of them are more interesting than others, as you'd expect. There's over a hundred of them. Um, some of them are absolutely great. I really like the atmosphere and the the look and aesthetic that they went for with the music as well. But some more some more variety wouldn't have gone amiss if they could have no. managed it. And similarly, the dungeons, yes, twice as many would have been great. A different look for each of them might have been great. Um, but again, it's just for me, it's it's like another. A part that I actually spent considerably less time on than, you know, than I spent in the world, I guess. Yeah, I think it was Josh, uh, who not far from release of the game, remarked that if you want like traditional Zelda dungeons, we've got so many games already that contain those, right? Yeah. Am I I paraphrasing you correctly? Well, yeah, I, I basically said I love them, but I've had several games with that with those temples there's so many games we played them all in a row as well and um and i bet all the people moaning about it haven't played all the others or not all of them anyway (laughs) but (laughs) i i I think also temples don't really fit into the thesis statement of this game because so this game is so focused on discovery and experimentation and the traditional zelda temple is not really about discovery and experimentation it's more about going through a you know a very prescriptive 
totally. set piece yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. scenario and, and solving puzzles in a very specific way. Yeah, and and those are fun. If, Don't get me wrong; that's not a negative. That they're really really fun. But I I've you know I've had loads of those, and I'm just happy to kind of embrace what this game is doing. Counter to and that, I, we do I, have a hundred shrines. With, yeah, so and, with yeah. which you can break some of. To be fair, yeah, with the physics, I, but. I, I, the, those shrines are great, and 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 I, and those puzzles do kind of somewhat fill the gap. But I do get what people are saying, where like the, there's something about a temple where the, the 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 all these individual puzzles kind of come together to into a larger puzzle, and yeah. the the divine beasts don't quite capture that because yeah. they're so simple and and quite small scale yeah but and... th- if there's one thing that pleads for the divine beasts is that i think the puzzle solving in there is quite a bit more complex than in uh yeah, in, in traditional zelda temples because there are many ways to, to look at them and you've got four main uh rune powers to to toy around with yes uh, and you've got the manipulation of the divine beasts themselves that change the environment inside or change the way they work in certain certain ways so there's a lot of quite a, quite a lot of comp- combinations of factors to to work into your puzzle yeah solving. and and I, I i don't honestly because i i i agree with you i i think ultimately i'm happy to just embrace this new path and 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 do and what they're doing with the divine beasts and all the shrines i just fit they do fit better into the, the the ethos of this game i just i i get where people are coming from of course from. yeah um it, it is it is a whole it, not so much a whole that's that's the wrong way of thinking of it it's it's something that people have come to expect from the series that i don't i think in so many ways breath of the wild does such a great job of capturing what the series does best and this is kind of the one area where it does feel like it's departed so significantly that like none none of these quite fill the gap and i love yeah. i love these and i love the i love these new sisters and i think the shrines they the shrines especially more so than the divine beasts fit so perfectly into that kind of theme of discovery kind of discovering a puzzle and yeah. then and then completing it that that fits with what breath of the wild is doing much more it fits so. within the larger world yeah and i remember the the dueling yeah. peaks uh there there are two twin shrines that are linked to each other yeah right? on the dueling pick peaks and me and my daughter were working out this puzzle like we couldn't figure out for the life of us how it was, was working you had all these yeah. bowls where you needed to slot different balls in and then we suddenly got it the two of us worked it out and we start we actually had to draw like a graph of where the positions of the balls were uh in in one of the two shrines and in the other so we could fit them accordingly and we felt so damn clever working that out yeah yeah uh, Bixer from the forum says, while the first shrine I entered seemed like an interesting new idea, by the time you reach the second and third, you realise all the textures within all 120 or so of them are just copied and pasted, and working your way through them soon becomes a chore for that reason. Paired with the fact that one of the rewards for doing so is just another papier-mâché weapon that you're too afraid to ever actually use. I soon found myself wishing we could just go back to the tired dungeon formula. I was happy with it the way it was, and I, I guess it just uh, tells that it, it's very much perspective and mood at the time, because to me it wasn't textures just copied and pasted, that was consistency. 
Mm. Why shouldn't sh- shrines that all look absolutely identical all made from by the, the same outside, ancient race, all made by yeah, clearly mm. made by the same person, people, whatever? Why shouldn't mm. they look mostly? They could the have same had thematically appropriate themes, uh, you know, as in absolutely they they could have. But but equally yeah. well, I mean, talking about the um, divine beasts. By the time I got to the well, I I completely missed the fact you can manipulate the divine beasts. Maybe owing to the fact that clearly that was meant to be done on the tablet with yeah. the gamepad, and yes. you had to go into a menu yeah. on the Switch. I completely yeah, yeah. forgot, like, missed that you could do that. And by the time I got to the second Divine Beast, 20 hours later, whenever it was, I'd mm. forgotten that I'd had to do that the first time yeah, around. Yeah, so yeah, I had the same thing. suggesting that shrines could build on top of one, they, they absolutely couldn't, not just because people would reach them in different orders, but you're yeah, spending so much making. time in the world and exploring the world and... Like I, I would periodically forget about my magnesis abilities or you know uh, freezing abilities, whatever it might be, just because I wasn't using them all that much, and that's on yeah. me. I I get that, but it makes it incredibly difficult. And I think for a game that is so built on mechanics that seem to work together to kind of break the systems of the game a little bit, I think designing hard and fast puzzles is is exactly as Josh said. It's kind of antithetical, and that's maybe just not what this game was for. So. I I guess that's just they're not making a Zelda for people who want that. For me, I wanted the exploration and discovery, and that worked great for me. But yeah, the dungeons or the the divine beasts end with bosses. Uh, one of the things, again, another criticism that I've read and heard uh, is the lack of enemy variety. I was actually counting up. There's uh, there's seventy seven enemies. Take away the seven bosses, and you've got seventy enemies. But it is true that you can actually divide them up there's a lot of multiple versions of the same enemy so there's yeah. there's six different octoroks and, and whatever so it's actually more like 10 enemy types spread over 70 enemies or something like that uh which i think is enough. and there and there are already animals uh, in the world some of which are quite can be quite dangerous that's true there's also yeah there's also wildlife to watch out for rhinos and and deers and things um uh bosses wise though um probably not the most memorable in any Zelda game for me they they no. they fell slightly to between two stools in the regard that they are more traditional video game bosses or Zelda bosses in that they have a sequence and a pattern but it's not again it didn't feel quite as rigid as some of the older games in the series in that there were ways and means by which you could sort of manipulate the fight or choose to approach it in different ways obviously depending on what weapons you had and, and what uh, kit you had what potions um none of them really stood out although visually as i say i think the the final calamity ganon himself is is quite gnarly and in the end you fight the ultimate uh version who is uh the demon giant pig uh yeah. as as he tends to be um but uh, the, the visual spectacle wasn't quite quite what i hoped it would be from a game that had amazed me so much but um overall these were fine there was only one that really gave me any trouble and and again it's it's part of the experience that perhaps isn't what's going to stay with me about it so much as yeah. as just the being in the breath of the the breath of the wild world yeah yeah they were kind of fun to fight though the bosses because because you there you could try a lot of different things against them yeah i ended so, up using yeah uh, it's, it's not just like you said like do the thing to make it vulnerable yeah, hit its weak neck, spot and do it three times in a row yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know you could like they, they had their their uh, perverted Shika technology lasers and uh, and everything, and you could uh, yeah you could play some uh, some some nice parry and dodge games mm. with them. 
Yeah, I ended up using my bow quite a lot, but yeah, I have to say, yeah. aside from the size and kind of spectacle of the final Calamity Anim boss, uh, I remember my first encounter with a Wizrobe on the way to Zora's Domain probably far more than <laughs> any of the individual boss fights <laughs> yes, in the Divine right. Beasts. Yeah. Yeah. For example, the, yeah, the, or the first encounter with the Lionel yeah. when you have to go and get the yeah. lightning arrows, is it? Wh- whatever arrows you have to get for that Zora's Domain uh, yeah. boss, yeah. Yeah, I, I encountered my first Lionel um, on the way to the Spring of Wisdom, I think, mm. where one of the three dragons is uh, infected for sure. and, yeah. uh, sitting there. Yeah, yeah, Lionels remain terrifying. And if you want a completely different opinion of every enemy in the game, play Master Mode, as we <laughs> say, uh, where they all start ranked up and there are now new top-end ones as well uh, that all do much more damage and so on and so forth. Um. Time is racing away, sad but true. Uh, I still want to capture some more sort of overall feelings from the forum before we summarise. Magical Isopod says, Breath of the Wild is a game I will never get. When I think Zelda games, I think stories and characters just strong enough to support a lengthy campaign, great dungeons and cool weapons with lots of utility functions and great art direction. Breath of the Wild, by contrast, just feels big, empty and desperately lacking in meaningful content. If I could point to any one element that typifies the Breath of the Wild experience, it's the Korok seeds. The reward for getting them all isn't really worth the effort. Why are there 900 of them? Like, you can lock 900 pointless items behind four or five micro-puzzles, endlessly recycled. But just because you can, doesn't mean you should. To me, Breath of the Wild isn't a game so much as it's a collection of poor game design choices blasted out the door as a finished product. Glass weapons, lame fetch quests, accidental triggering of a high-level boss in a low-level region, a lame stamina meter, the inability to climb climb in the rain for some reason. Constantly recycling art assets and puzzle concepts is just a mess. Breath of the Wild is probably the single most disappointing game I've bought at launch. The only feelings I associate with it are boredom and frustration. And after investing 40 hours of my life waiting for this game to become interesting, it just didn't happen. I'm sad for you, magical. Um, can, can I just pass on my summary at the end? Just ev- the opposite of everything yeah, magical totally, I just I know, said yeah. there. So, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'll uh, yeah, save some time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's not He's not alone, though. No. Sludge Wizard says, uh, my least favourite Zelda by a significant margin and the only Zelda game I've ever traded in for store credit. I wish Breath of the Wild was for me, but it just isn't. Third Drawing says, I've never been able to finish a Zelda game, and this one was no different. I fooled myself into thinking this will be the one I finish when I bought it and my Switch at the same time. I was playing and enjoying Breath of the Wild until a certain side quest where I had to sneak into a thieves' hideout. I tried and tried and tried and just kept getting spotted and gave up out of frustration. I like linear storytelling. I like it when a game tells a good, engaging story. Unfortunately, Zelda games don't really have stories that I find engaging, and I don't think turning Zelda into the Elder Scrolls was necessarily the best idea for the series. I agree about the Yiga hideout. I thought that was a terrible misstep. The most yeah, prescriptive yeah. stealth section in a completely non-prescriptive game put me off and drove me away for months. Um, it's very, very short. Now, looking back, it wasn't that hard, and it was a tiny fly in the ointment but it, it was a really weird yeah. moment that took me back to the annoying stealth sections in early 3d zelda games 
Yeah, it's it's the one divisive part of the game that I am not willing to put up a defense for. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, yeah, I, I agree with what you said. And it's not even instant fail state. It's near instant. It's it's inescapable fail state. But it's a, yeah. it's a fight that you... You will lose. Yeah, almost can't or you win. Can't, or, yeah. or you can run yeah. away, completely run away out of the entire location, which takes even longer. So, yeah. No, no, you can't because they shut down all the doors. Even the front door. Yeah, but... Yeah, you're locked. You're locked down okay. in there with them. Which again yeah. is complete antithesis to there's in the the Hyrule Castle, the final showdown. If you if you make it that, uh, where there's these gatehouses which are which have Lionels in them, and you really don't want to be fighting Lionels in a small enclosed space. No. Generally, um, one the second one I got to, it was it was just too it was just killing me over and over again. So what did I do? I climbed out the window and ran away. And the game <laughs> yeah. just let me do that. And I thought, that is perfect. And same with yeah. that first Lionel I came across at Zora's Domain, this where you have to go and collect the arrows. I went up there and tried four or five times to beat that Lionel and just was not Don't up to that. the challenge at the time. <laughs> I just ran around, collected the uh, yep. arrows, and then ran away. Yep. Yeah. Job done. My son, uh, my son actually never even went there. He just went and bought the, the arrows, uh, elsewhere, arrows yeah. in a shop. There you go. <laughs> now that is the the flexible mind of youth. Good lateral thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stan Shaw uh, references that video that we talked about earlier. The Matthew Matosis video review is so worth a watch if you're into mechanics and design. Absolutely superb stuff. His repeated point about intrinsic versus extrinsic rewards is fundamental for me and neatly encapsulates the divide in opinion. In my experience, the players who don't enjoy Breath of the Wild are those who don't enjoy engaging with its unnecessary systems. Whether this is a symptom of personality, of historical conditioning, or simply a desire to solve problems as efficiently as possible, this approach will only scratch the surface of what this game is so confident to keep in its trousers. If you do explore and experiment with the extraordinary interlocking of environmental conditions, robust physics and player coordination, you will find opportunities for creativity and discovery which I believe to be peerless in the medium. The music and art and unparalleled sense of adventure will have reams written about them over the following decades, but it's the exploration of mechanics and interdependent systems which really massage my brain and which will stay with me forever. Mechanically, this makes the biggest names in contemporary open world design look a generation out of date. Emphatic. Sean S. Thomas says, Formative experiences are hard to rekindle or replicate as you get older, and as impressive as a lot of modern games are, I never expected a game to be able to compare to the first time I moved Mario around a 3D world or crash-landed on Talon 4. Breath of the Wild reawakened that naive, wide-eyed love for gaming in a way that no other title has in two decades. A group of us at work sat, swapping stories every lunchtime, remarking on where the previous evening's meanderings had taken us. We recalled tales of, of islands where you lose all your weapons, a vast graveyard full of malfunctioning guardians, a charming remote fishing village, and shrines hidden atop a snow-covered mountain an hour trek from anywhere. Some of those things I found a week later some a year. I even had friends from school reconnecting to merely ask, are you playing this? A sequel could likely improve some of the pacing, the dungeons, the menus, and the weapon-breaking system. What it will struggle to do is surprise and delight me in the way Breath of the Wild did. It represents Nintendo returning to the peak of their powers, ripping up the rulebook, and making gaming wondrous again. 
Scrussell says, one of my favourite Zelda games, a truly magical and wonderful experience. I just hope they solve the problems with dungeons in future games. Capone Adam from the forum as well says, an instant classic for me. All the hours of pre-footage available of this game just weren't able to convey the sense of adventure and exploration that is the core of this majestic experience. The most exciting aspect of this refreshing new take on the Zelda series is that as much as I loved it, there is much room for improvement with this new direction. I agree, Adam. Nupraptor says, Breath of the Wild is one of my favourite games of all time. It is a joy to play. It is freedom. It is wonder. Jordania says, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is my favourite game of all time. Toon Scatoon says, The best thing this game gave me was a renewed love of gaming, an art form I'd stepped away from for two decades. Loki says, not in many years has a game captured my inner child like Breath of the Wild did in a way I didn't quite think possible anymore. Truly magical. Suits says, an experience I never thought possible, let alone was ready for, a game that I will forever hold precious. And Dave Parkey says, I struggle to find words that adequately describe my experience with Breath of the Wild. Simply put, it's one of the most magical and wondrous pieces of art ever created. Wow. And I wanted to finish with this one because it's a bit of humanity in amongst all this hyperbole. Third man from the forum says, I purchased Breath of the Wild with a dusty old Wii U within an hour of laying my father to rest. That was my third family bereavement since 2014 having also lost my stepfather and sister-in-law during that period. Looking back on it now, I must have struck an odd sight walking into CEX in a black suit with red puffy eyes, but I knew of the dark days that lay ahead and how becoming immersed in a video game was essential to my grieving process. Over the next three months, I became completely lost in Hyrule. I could write at length about systems, weapons, buffs, etc., but ultimately none of that matters to me. This was a game about exploration, about setting off in search of myself, of enjoying a world of moral certainty where the good guys prevail instead of dying sudden, untimely deaths. I played this game with tears in my eyes, with anger on my face, with alcohol and a cocktail of painkillers and illicit drugs running through my blood. I was overweight when I first pressed play. I was underweight when I finally beat Calamity Ganon. It was one hell of an experience. It was little more than background noise during my deepest moments but it also brought me to tremendous heights, joy when I had no right to feel joyful. It was everything. It's a truly remarkable game, and for me a complete one-off, as I could never force myself through a replay. It's too tightly bound up in all those experiences, the worst of which I'm happy to say I've left behind. Thanks for sharing that with us, third man. He did also offer a PS which was those breakable weapons suck or something along those lines. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there is that. So there is that, but that's wonderful. Thank you. I'm sorry for your yeah. loss, but I'm glad that such an amazing experience helped in the ways that it did. Mm. Now, we also got an absolute shed load of three-word reviews, of course. Uh, we've s pared them down somewhat, so we'll rattle through these from most negative to most positive in a traditional fashion. James. Dermot Scannell says, weapon degradation sucks. Ben Parry says, insurmountable weapon issue. Super cool Eskimo says, we want temples. Hey, it's me, Ben. Shrines to say me. Casey says, too much freedom. Oney for nothing says, sadly, mostly tedious. Whereas Smeg in the head says, it's just okay. 
Corvus says, great tech demo. Nick Burnham says, back to basics. My ironic lung says, freedom of choice. Craig McAdam says, what's over there? A relaxed cashew says, sea mountain, climb. Danny Spiteri, greater than some. Andrew Elmore says, agency through disempowerment. Like it. The Eggmaster says, still playing now. Simon Sloth, breadth of the wealth. And that's B R E A D T H. <laughs> Thank you for explaining. It's got a D in it. <laughs> uh, Wayward Prophet, endless untamed wonder. Toon Skatoon says, open my eyes. And concluding on another emotional note, Jager Gravening says, Guardian, barbecued, Epona. <laughs> Heartbreaking. Uh, we didn't talk about horse riding because who does that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so much to this game, not just because it's a 90 to 200 hour experience, uh, but also because it's got a lot of bits and bobs to it. And obviously it was massively highly reviewed. So no doubt Jay's had a, a heck of an edit to do, but hopefully we haven't gone too crazy. We need to summarise uh, our feelings towards The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which catches us up with the series in a cane and rinse sense. Let's start with, uh, this is not in any particular order, James. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's telling for me that having only played properly um, three Zelda games, including this one, this feels like a follow-on from Link to the Past almost every bit as much as A Link Between Worlds did. Although they go in such different directions and one is very clearly a follow-on, this thematically felt like the game I expected to come next, where I expected it to go. And and I understand that that's me pushing aside a long history of Zelda games that I haven't played that may have taught me that not to expect this. But um, hmm. the fact that it was so fitting for me that, that this should be the, the next... Zelda game in the three I've played um, I think is is just kind of key and I understand that I am the worst kind of apologist for most of the stuff people rightly criticise about this game but some of that stuff for me if that wasn't in the game would I strongly believe have negatively affected my enjoyment and that's not to say my enjoyment is is worthy of other people's disappointment it's just that I, I wish everyone could have enjoyed these aspects the way I did um and i can honestly heart on say hand on heart say uh i never once ran out of weapons due to weapon breakage i always had another weapon and that's probably because i avoided combat as much as 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 in, engaged in combat but to bixer's point earlier that was fine and and in master mode that's what you have to do so the fact i was already doing it meant that uh yeah i i just loved avoiding combat as much as engaging in it and exploring and yeah 115 hours and three weeks is is a lot and it got me through nowhere near as as hard a time as obviously we've previously heard uh others have gone through but i i was ill enough work and that's not a nice feeling and this game filled a massive void to the point where i didn't really feel like going back to it for the dlc i felt like i'd soaked everything in from it and wanted to wait to go back to it uh and i'm so glad this podcast came along to kind of bring me back to everything that i loved about it which is just about everything <laughs> yeah i don't want to take too long i'll probably end up waffling for a bit but um 
yeah, so I, I got this game early, started it early on the Wii U, uh, played it for, I think, about 30 or 40 hours before getting even to that bit that frustrated me a bit. Um, and, it, it, and it is a weird game because in the sense that all those criticisms that I, we have heard and I've heard many times online, I actually concur with most of them to an extent. Uh, just never anywhere near the extent that stopped this being one of my favourite gaming experiences of all time. Um, the one, actually, the one thing that I, the, the one criticism that does come up that I cannot even begin to comprehend is the empty world one. <laughs> this, to me, this game feels absolutely stuffed with interesting things to do. That's not necessarily about correct, collecting a chest with a, you know, a rusty axe in it or, um, or four Korok seeds with which you can expand your inventory, which does help, by the way. It's worth, worth doing. Yeah. Um, it's about the discovery of everything that's there and just the layout of and the, the, the beauty of some of the areas, even just going to a new area that is beautiful in itself, just to look at, just to walk through, just to slush through the, the water or, or catch a fish or whatever you want to do. Um, and, of course, if for those people who just aren't into being in games as in just to be in a game and exist in a world there may not be enough here or maybe it is a case where people have been kind of very much um, been conditioned to expect to play in certain ways and this game doesn't really have any truck with that having said that as i say there are some there are some things which I, I don't think were perfect i think there's definitely room for improvement like our friend adam capone said um, but the best, the best thing I can say about this is, uh, I played it for ninety hours across two years, and as soon as I switched it off after uh, going back very briefly after that credit roll, I went to the eShop on the Switch and paid seventy-seven pounds to buy it again with the DLC and start all over again on Master Mode. Josh, this is one of those cases where it really felt like. Um, the designers of Nintendo had a picture of me up on their wall <laughs> and said, let's make a game specifically for that person there. Yeah. Um, because, That's probably it. Yeah, yeah. Because this game draws on so much of the f just different aspects of games and culture and art that i just really adore there's a bit there's a bit of metal gear solid 3 in here there's a bit of dark souls in here there's a bit of shadow of the colossus in here oh, yeah. and just the aesthetic it looks like a hayao miyazaki film like mm -hmm. yeah, there are shots in this where it might as well be prince ashitaka <laughs> you know going through the the japanese wilderness in in princess mononoke um it's it's it has all these elements that are just like targeting you know laser targeting <laughs> my heart but then also it's doing something so new and different that i didn't know that i wanted with the world just letting me and i've had i've had kind of pieces of this before but the whole game just being designed around like not pointing me where I need to go and saying, no, just discover it for yourself. Just find all these nooks and crannies. And, and it, it's, it's, I, the, there's been versions of this that I've enjoyed in the past, but I just feel like this does it more effectively for me than anything else I've played. Um, 
and this was one of those examples of a game where I knew within the first few hours that it was one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. And that feeling never went away. Like completely. And the more I think about this game, the like there are moments where I, I'm just like um on Twitter and then somebody brings up Breath of the Wild and I go Oh my god, Breath of the Wild came out. It exists. <laughs> it's a thing. And yeah. and 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 it felt like cuz often when I think like I recently watched um uh, Alien at the the BFI South mm. Bank and I, I that's a really important film for me and mm. I so desperately wish I could have been there in 1979 mm. when that film was first coming out and, and being and 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 to be part of the zeitgeist and this was one of those occasions where i got to be part of that i got to be witness to one of the most <laughs> important pieces of art i've experienced um yeah i i adore this game this is like th- this isn't just like a favorite this is absolute just all-timer for me i i adore it love i love breath of the Wild. nicely put top that mikhail uh, I'll try, <laughs> but it's a it's just it's a tall order for sure. Yeah, I put uh, maybe close to 150 hours in this game on my own save uh, on my own profile on my own save game. Not to speak of uh, you know helping out my kids with their save games. And the in recent times, I've spent a lot of that time on the um, um, Champions Ballot DLC, the DLC two pack uh, that came out. And it was in danger almost of kind of almost sucking the fun out of it because I'm I, I'm so much used to playing this game at my own pace and I wanted to clear the DLC before this uh, this podcast recording. Mm. So I was just running from objective to objective mm. and it started to feel like busy no. work until <laughs> I started to feel like, no, I need to slow down. I need to, you know, see where the road takes me, see where the world takes me again and discover new places. Yeah. And when I did that, I also started to appreciate the DLC a lot more and see how the shrines in it are maybe the best ones that they've created so oh. far. Uh, cool. And uh, the, the final dungeon, Divine Beast-like dungeon, is also yeah really, really good, uh, including the, the final boss fight in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I fell in love all over again with this game and I've, after clearing the DLC, I'm, I'm still going at it. I'm still, like, still after all this time, discovering new places and new things. Um, and you know, when I think of games that made the most impact in my life, typically it goes all the way back to the 16 bit era and some of the more impressive early early 3D games that uh, started sort of created these these large and vast worlds. So it's very rare that I mean, it's very rare. It's it's very striking, incredibly striking to me that this game awoke a new sense of wonder uh, in me again, all over again, uh, like and, ma- and made an impact on me as as much as it did as as it did for many others of our correspondents as well and. And and for Josh, um, so yeah, th- this this is really one of those monumental milestone type of games for me. Uh, and I didn't think at this age. I thought I've seen it all, and a lot of uh, you know, I I, th- I th- thought I saw it all in games, and 
what I didn't see yet, I always sort of chalked up to futuristic uh, musings and uh, things I might never see mm. uh, come to pass. But a lot of the things that I that were missing in me for open worlds are in this game. So I've to really sum it up, um, I might have mentioned this before already, but I've, uh, it's a bit of a life work to me to catalog my complete uh, game collection and to uh, create mini reviews of about 80 to 100 words in there on, on each and every game in my collection. Mm. Uh, it's quite an interesting challenge to sort of condense, describe a game and cut to its core of what makes it good, bad or mediocre, in my opinion. Um, and for Breath of the Wild, yeah, I couldn't in the hundred worlds, I, uh, hundred words that I had for it, yeah. I couldn't really, you know, include the the little the minor gripes that I have with it. So I condensed it down to this, uh, and this is hyperbole warning. Ahead. <laughs> um, imagine an open world game that allows you to interact with the environment to a degree of that of the finest condensed puzzle-filled action adventure games. One that promotes a real sense of exploration and discovery rather than making you trek from map marker to map marker. One in which areas aren't gated off by items or abilities, but by the limit of your resourcefulness. You might like to know that this game exists and that it's called The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Nice. Well, thank you everybody. It remains for me, Leon, to thank James, Josh and Mikhail, as well as all of our correspondents, even the haters, <laughs> Editor Jay, <laughs> and plus, of course, to each of you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, send us some feedback. Why not go to the forum or the Patreon page? Please subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts from. Or best of all, support the show and our output at patreon.com slash Just a dollar a month unlocks the longer versions of the shows, including this one. And you get them earlier too, and an exclusive monthly podcast. Why not? Next time, in issue 361, a fitting and fulfilling conclusion to the celebrated Souls series, or not? Dark Souls 3 